0: I Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Today's episode is a pregnancy and birth story that includes a rare but serious pregnancy complication. My guest has an undergraduate master degree in sociology and library science. She is a software developer in North Carolina and also the proud mother of a new baby boy. Her journey to motherhood had some bumps in the road. But despite the hurdles, she's crossed the finish line and has graciously offered to share her story. Kelly Potter, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Berlin. I really appreciate you being here and having me.
0: It's my pleasure. And also, you know, we pretty much end every podcast by saying if you have any topics that you'd like us to explore, or talk about, just uh, reach out. You can always reach out by Instagram or email. And I bet some people think, ah, they probably don't really pay attention (laughs) to it. But we do. We listen to every single one. And that's how we were able to connect with you.
1: Yeah, I was actually kind of shocked. I went back just out of curiosity to look through the uh, podcast that you had done and didn't see anything about help syndrome. And so I thought, you know, that would be an excellent topic to uh, discuss sometime because it was definitely nothing that I had ever heard of when I was told by my doctors that that was what I had.
0: Yeah, and help syndrome, which is the complication that you had, is not really common. And we, in fact, don't have an episode about it. But um, we're going to share your story, and then on our next episode, we're going to bring in an obstetrician to talk about it from the more clinical perspective. But let's start at the beginning. Where are you from?
1: Um, All over. I was born in upstate New York and spent my formative years outside of Chicago, and I came south for college and never left. So I've been in North Carolina for almost 20 years. I'm actually officially a southerner now, which is very weird to
0: me. (coughs) Kind of hear it in your accent a I little
1: bit. I mean. <laughs> no, I I don't think I'm ever gonna get the accent. And if this baby ends up with an accent, I'm not sure I can love him. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a
0: little twinge. I actually hear <laughs> it. I was I lived in the south for a little while. I'm it's I just hear It's to.
1: a fun place to be, and you know, I'm I'm really lucky to be where I am actually. And you know, I've been in Durham for a long time now, so it's home now.
0: Making software.
1: Yeah, that's a weird one considering my background in sociology, sociology to software. Library, science, yeah, that was not a normal path, but the company that I worked for is, uh, they highly value uh, finding talent in strange places and that ended up working out really well for me and I've been there for almost 15 years now.
0: I feel like with library science you have to be extremely organized.
1: Yes, and that indeed is a trait that I have. You know, and that's actually why they hired me, because I could do research really well, and they needed somebody to do research on a product that they had, and I morphed that into software development somehow, and I'm not the best software developer, but I try every day to learn more so that they uh, have no reason to fire me, because uh, I love the job.
0: <laughs> the librarian at our local public library is an app developer, so there you go. Yeah.
1: yeah, you know, you have to, especially in this day and age, you have to have many hats and that's that's actually a good thing i think just in general
0: now you have the mommy have?
1: yeah that's a weird one one that i definitely never expected to occur
0: because you didn't want to have kids originally
1: no not necessarily uh, i never really had given it a whole lot of consideration in my head i thought to myself that you know i'll find a person and when i find that person then you know maybe i will maybe i won't want children but as I started getting closer to the age of 40, I started kind of thinking about it a little bit more seriously because I knew that window was going to close for me very soon. <laughs> and, you know, after about two years ago, you know, I thought, let me just explore this option and see if it would even be possible for me to have a child on my own. And I, I was able to, you know, hook up with a really great fertility clinic here and they were very enthusiastic even considering my age (laughs) and they worked very hard and it it actually did happen and you know in my head i was prepared for either one if i got pregnant then then it was meant to be and if i if i didn't then that was also okay
0: so i mean getting pregnant on your own it still seems like there were some options like
1: oh yeah you know and it's funny because i have friends that got pregnant through a known donor And, you know, and when I was thinking about it, I decided a sperm donor would be the best way to go because I wanted, you know, I selfishly, I guess, wanted to have my baby all to myself and not have to worry about any kind of consequence there. And, um, you know, that was an interesting process in and of itself. You know, it's very strange. It's like Tinder for, you know, children. You know, you just have to go through and figure out what you want your child to look like. And it's a very strange process. And uh, it was very weird, but it was, you know, it all turned out pretty well.
0: So for you, it was an anonymous donor through an
1: Yeah, so it was anonymous, but, you know, one of the things that I decided I wanted to do was to make sure that it was a donor that was willing to openly share their information Mm -hmm. when the children turned 18, because I didn't want my child, if I had one, to grow up not knowing anything or not ever being able to find out, because to me, that question mark over, you know, themselves their whole life wouldn't be fair. So I wanted to at least give them the option to find out as much as they could about their donor when the time was right.
0: So when you work with a sperm donor, is it intrauterine insemination?
1: Yeah, so the fertility clinic, you know, there's definitely different options. Uh, We decided to start with IUIs because they're definitely the cheaper route and see how they go. And after three IUIs, the first one actually ended in miscarriage, but it was very early on.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry.
1: No, you know, and it was was shocking to get pregnant right off the bat, and it was even more of a kind of a roller coaster to lose it so fast as well, but it was definitely an introduction to the world of infertility. Mm -hmm. And by the time I hit the stage where we started to discuss IVF, you know, through testing, what we realized was that I really didn't have very many eggs left. They have hormone levels that they can look at to see how many follicles that you possibly have left. And my my number, even though I was only thirty nine at that point, um, was much lower than what somebody would normally see. So, even for my age, I had very few eggs. We decided to try IVF anyway.
0: You had frozen eggs.
1: No, no, you know, okay. and that's, unfortunately, is still a very expensive process, mm-hmm. essentially going through IVF up into the point of inseminating, you know, like, and bringing them back in, and so that process in and of itself is very expensive, and, you know, when you're 25 or 30 even, and if you don't have everything together necessarily, you're definitely not trying to spend that kind of cash, so it's definitely, and that was not anything I had ever considered, so for me, it was, you know, IVF wasn't, a, wasn't going to work.
0: So you did a few rounds of IUI?
1: Yeah, tried IVF for one round. It was a lot of hormones. You know, I never made more than one or two eggs. And by the time we hit IVF and I was doing the shots, I still didn't make more than two eggs. And it wasn't worth the expense really to try and extract them at that point. So we just continued with IUI after that and, you know, Oh, by the- so you,
0: you did stimulation for yeah. an IVF cycle, but you never retrieved the eggs?
1: Exactly, yeah, we we ended up switching to IUI that month just because there just were no eggs.
0: Right, so IUI, in case somebody doesn't know, is you're essentially taking that sperm and and using a little catheter to place them into your uterus
1: near your fallopian tube. Right at school, there's no (laughs) middleman, their lunch is packed, and everything is good. And the, the nice thing about sperm donors is that they're so selective in their process to be a sperm donor that the um, sperm donors themselves have very high ratios of sperm. Their sperm are like super sperm. Hmm. So it's, uh, it's about the best chance you can get. I ended up switching sperm donors halfway through the process because I wasn't having any luck with the first one. And I had enough money to buy two more vials because FYI, it's pricey stuff. <laughs> I paid about $1,000 a vial. Wow. Uh huh. Yeah, and I, I did it six times. So wow. So That's- next time you're you're wondering about that, yeah, you're just it's a lot of money.
0: <laughs> you wouldn't think because
1: yeah, they they well you know these these companies they do a ton of genetic testing now. That you know they they do genetic testing, personality tests. There's profiles, interviews recorded. It's the family history is crazy extensive. The stuff that they. They really dig deep with these guys, and so they have to pay for that somehow, I suppose, and, um, you know, the end user ends up paying the price on that one.
0: And each time you do a cycle, it's one vial?
1: Yep, yeah.
0: So you had two vials left. Yes,
1: yeah, so I had two left, and the very last one that I tried worked. It was my very last try.
0: Oh, wow. Did yeah. you Did you get the sense... That it worked before you knew you were yeah. able to test for it? You
1: felt I, it. I did. Yeah, I told myself, if this doesn't work, it will never work because my numbers that month had been really, really stellar, very similar to the first month. My estrogen levels at that point, that's one of the things they used to kind of check the growth and the strength of the follicles that you have. They had been previously pretty low, but the first month had been really good, and this month was even higher than the first month. And so I told myself, this is it. It's, it's happening or it's not happening, and, and it did.
0: Because you previously had a miscarriage, were you nervous even though you found out you were pregnant?
1: Oh yeah, I don't know that any person that's ever had a miscarriage doesn't harbor some kind of, you know, stepping away from that a little bit to just give it some time. It's hard to emotionally invest for a while. And mm-hmm. honestly, it was even, you know, probably throughout the whole time, even though, you get past all the markers and everything looks good. Every single time you go for another test, you're just not sure, you know? And for me at my age, it was something, you know, I did a lot of other tests too. So it, yeah, that's, that's really hard to get past. It is, but, um, but, you you know, did. I, but I did, yeah. And, and it,
0: uh,
1: it was different from the very beginning. So I knew it would, he was, he was a strong one in there. And literally
0: uh, did, from the first yeah. minute, this baby had already overcome some odds stacked against you.
1: Yeah, it really was sort of a miracle on that one that it even worked and I felt very, very lucky.
0: It was meant to be. Yeah. All right, let's take a little break now that you're pregnant in in our story (laughs) and find out a little bit more about your pregnancy. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Kelly Potter. Well, it took a bit, but you got pregnant. How was your pregnancy? How did it feel? once you got deeper into the pregnancy. How was your first trimester?
1: I, uh, I felt that I had spent enough money to have warranted an easy pregnancy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> if
0: only you could buy that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and indeed, like the first part was actually very, very nice. I really didn't have a ton of nausea, nothing that, that a little food, you know, you just realize after a while, even though you feel like trash, you have to eat something because it will make you feel better. And, uh, you know, you get through that. And it really, for me, wasn't wasn't terrible at all. And so I felt pretty lucky in that way. And I really didn't hit any kind of real issues until probably the second trimester. I ended up having, like, fairly severe, at least in my mind, carpal tunnel.
0: Oh, in both hands or one?
1: Yeah, it was in both hands, too. It and was you're a
0: computer both- person.
1: Yeah, that was special. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you try anything to uh, to treat it? Um, I had all throughout my pregnancy and prior to, during fertility treatments, um, saw an acupuncturist who was also a Chinese herbalist. So the acupuncture did help quite a bit with the purple tunnel. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really, it was, man, it was rough. But even then, I still told myself, could be worse. This is not that bad. I will... I will be fine. This will be okay. You know, you just learn to like sleep in very few positions and it ends up being okay at the end. But yeah, that was rough. But you know, my OB, even though I was what I would call old and what most medical doctors would call old, I turned 40 in my first trimester.
0: They call um, it geriatric.
1: Yes, indeed. Pregnancy. <laughs> but you know, my OB was pretty, they were pretty chill about it, honestly. They, you know, I asked them, I was like, am I high risk? And they said, no, not until you do something or show us something that's going to make you high risk. And that's I, really cool. Yeah. I wasn't 100% sure I would be able to find a doctor that, that would do that and have that kind of mentality because, you know, you hear horror stories about people, you know, having these issues with their doctors and mine was really great about it and it made me feel Normal throughout the pregnancy honestly, you know, they weren't pushy, you know, they said yeah, you'll have some extra tests and uh, If everything looks good, then it's gonna be fine and you'll deliver at the hospital That is the low-risk pregnancy center and you'll be fine.
0: Did you do testing? Did you do any of the early on testing? Did you do extra testing?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I did whatever they offered. Essentially, I have really good insurance. Thank you, company. Um, <laughs> I would have, honestly, shout out to them. I've been able to have done any of this. They pay for fertility treatments up to oh. twenty thousand dollars.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, no, there's no way. Not there's no way I would have been able to have have gone through this process without that. There's just yeah, there wasn't any way. So I, I feel very lucky in that. And yeah, and so my insurance covered all of the things that were necessary. And we did do genetic testing and it allowed me to see the baby quite a bit more because you know, you, you get a lot more ultrasounds in those cases. So uh, we got to got to see him quite a bit, which was which was fun. Um, but no, none of those none of those were he he passed all his tests with flying colours. He was measuring big throughout. And he was doing pretty well, and uh, it was me that had the problem, not him.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was I, great. I mean, outside of the uh, carpal tunnel, what else did you experience?
1: Yeah, that was. I mean, you know, it's an interesting. It's an interesting process. You know, feeling the baby move for the first time, knowing what to expect, and you know, honestly, your your podcast really helped me there because you know, I like to do my research. Obviously, and I had read a few books. I wasn't going to get crazy, but being able to hear people actually converse on subjects It's its just a much better way of really kind of ingesting information that you want to keep Having conversations is something that we, we don't do. Well, we definitely currently only do it through things like this now But you know, it's it's kind of a lost art the art of storytelling and you know older generations passing down information to the younger generations in that way people google things and they forget to ask other people that have had similar experiences and so i think that this format really you know i i put it on in in my car on my way to work and you know make my friends listen to it and it was just a nice way to start conversations about things that weren't necessarily always at the tip of your tongue.
0: Mm. well then yeah. we'll keep making them
1: yeah, no. I appreciate it. And mm-hmm. and all the people that are currently listening appreciate it too, I'm sure.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, so you started to feel less well at <laughs> some point in your pregnancy.
1: Yeah, you know, it was uh it was early in my third trimester when I started seeing some weird stuff. Like what? Well, you know, and it's interesting now, you know, looking back on it hindsight, the first time I felt any kind of strange My OB had kind of written it off as indigestion. I had just had the glucose test, and also they had given, because of my age, any number of other risk factors, they had given me a 24-hour test for my urine to check for protein. Just because of the, you know, all of those things, they wanted to make sure for sure that I didn't have any kind of risks of preeclampsia, and I had passed that test not two weeks prior. You know, so throughout my blood pressure had been fine. So when things started to go badly, they went badly real fast, but they weren't so acute that it wasn't easy to pass off as something else is the thing. So the first symptoms that I had was a very strange pain in my upper back that I know. And it, it kind of traveled around to my front. It was just like that whole circular, you know, right under my rib cage and it happened twice in a row like in the evenings
0: oh just like a fleeting pain
1: yeah it almost came in a wave and it lasted for maybe 45 minutes or an hour and i'm like this mm. is not normal this is weird and you know after the second day i was like i've got to ask the doctor about this but and i had a appointment that week and she said you know your stomach's in weird spots it's probably indigestion And I was like, well, that's some indigestion like I have never had before. (laughs) But it never happened again. So I, you know, I kind of wrote it off. Um, What it probably was in hindsight now was actually my gallbladder. But your gallbladder and your liver are very close to each other. And so I'm not sure if ultimately it did maybe turn itself on due to the, the other factors that occurred later or not, but it definitely was kind of that first indicator. I'm actually having my gallbladder removed on Monday. So oh, really? yeah, <laughs> two surgeries in one year, it's very exciting. Oh. Yeah, that came back hardcore a couple of months after I gave birth and so that thing's gotta come out. It's very, very painful, very painful. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy, weird. I, you know, I just assumed it would not come back because once I gave birth, I assumed all pain that I had had previously would be gone.
0: Does it um, also? I mean, is it just pain, or do you get nausea and vomiting? And-
1: I did. Yeah, I finally did experience the whole gamut of that kind of pain after. Like it was probably a month ago. I ended up at the ER because of, this is just not normal.
0: Because of the pain.
1: Yeah, it was bad. And, you know, I didn't get to go through birth, so I'm not sure how that equates. Right. But it was pretty intense, the pain. And I thought maybe I'm having a heart attack, you know, because with women it's different. And the way the pain was, you know, it was definitely close enough to the upper coordinate of my body that I just wanted to make sure. You know, because it came along with, you know, heart palpitations and I felt really, really, really terrible. And um, my blood pressure was high.
0: Oh hi, do you remember?
1: I got to bring home a blood pressure cup with me. Oh. It was it was probably like one fifty over ninety something. Oh
0: wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want if this was still repercussions from the previous thing, I didn't want it to be something that I let go for too long. So I did wind up in the ER and the person that checked me in was like, uh, this is definitely your gallbladder. I'm like, Why didn't somebody tell me this before? Why do you know so much? He's like, You're over forty year old woman, and you just had a baby.
0: That's right. Hard. I mean, you know, when you're studying in, in uh, school, in healthcare sciences, they kind of put mnemonics for things, and yeah. uh, it's not the nicest mnemonic that they have for gallbladder syndrome, at least in our school, but uh, it was all the Fs, so 40, fertile, fat, female. Yeah. Those were the four yeah. Fs. Yeah, so, and I basically
1: uh, use all, I was all of those, and so I don't know why that never came up previously, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, that, got overshadowed by all the other things. By the way, just so you
0: know, the first patient who I ever saw with uh, gallbladder disease was a skinny 19 year old guy. So he obviously didn't read the textbook. Yeah. uh, He baffled me for a while. I gallbladder was the last thing on my mind.
1: That's definitely not normal, for sure. That's true. So right. you don't
0: always know. So right when you got there, they knew your gallbladder was? A-
1: oh, yeah. He, he was like, this is definitely that. And, you know, a, a scan um, a scan of that later on showed that there were a couple of issues in there. And, you know, An I... Ultrasound? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they ultrasounded me. They did see some sludge is what they like to call it. Mm. You know, and I... Delicious. I hope, I hope my acupuncturist doesn't listen to this because she definitely wants me to get rid of it with her herbs but yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, and I would if I didn't have to take care of this child while I was also going through those attacks. But it's pretty painful, and it's very difficult, and it scares me to think that I might have one when I actually need to be momming. And it's not that easy because they're very terrible. So this thing's got to come out, and so yeah. I will.
0: It's like, extra hard as a single parent because uh, yeah. it's one on one.
1: Well, and you know, and that's um one of the things you know with all these things that kind of occurred it really, it makes you stop and be a little scared, you know, uh, what happens. And, you know, it was something I thought about before, obviously, but it definitely puts it into perspective when you're literally in some kind of pain or in some kind of scary situation like I was in, because you just don't know. And now anything that is wrong with me or could possibly in the future be wrong with me would affect him. And so there's an added layer of
0: stress on that for sure. Responsibility. It's huge responsibility. All right, Kelly, let's take a break and find out how this continued and how your ultimate birth and recovery went. We'll be right back with Kelly Potter. (laughs) Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally Omega 3. Perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Kelly Potter. So after a long journey to pregnancy and a pretty good first trimester, Uh, a little carpal tunnel pain but then you start feeling these unusual symptoms, bleeding episodes of pain in your back wrapping around to the front. What happened after that?
1: Yeah, so a couple weeks after the initial problem began, what I assume was at least the precursor to that, I started feeling like I had the flu and this all happened very fast. It was a Monday and I was sitting and meeting at work and I clearly didn't look good. I only found that out later because everybody was like, oh no, you looked really bad. (laughs) But you know, when you start to feel sick and uh, you just go downhill really fast and I really thought I just had like some kind of sickness, the flu or something. It was like getting hit by a brick wall. I felt hot and you know, just gross. So I, I went home and took my temperature and I had a fever, which is not normal for me. So I you know I went home took Tylenol and kind of went to bed and just hoped for it to go away and it did to a certain extent my you know I was able to control the fever the fever wasn't super high and so I called my OB and told her what my symptoms were you know I felt like I was coming down with something I and mean, I did have a fever but they weren't super concerned by the fever because it wasn't 100.4 mm-hmm. um, And I had an appointment anyway on Thursday, so they were like, listen, if it gets worse, call us. You know, if it stays the same, we'll just see you on Thursday and we'll talk about it. So, you know, I actually started to sort of feel a little bit better, but the pain was weird. What it ended up being was that I would get a fever around the same time, Mm -hmm. the same time as I would have back pain. Mm -hmm. And... They coincided, which is very strange, and so I would take something, the fever would go away, the back pain would kind of subside. But all of this happened very fast, and the symptoms didn't really, none of it was that concerning. I just felt sick and very tired, and it sort of went away. By Wednesday, I felt okay again, and I decided I would try to go to work Thursday after I went to my OB appointment. So... Once I got to the OB's office, I really was expecting it to be kind of a cut-and-dry visit-and-then-leave situation. It ended up not being like that, of course. I, I went in, and they took my blood pressure, which, of course, is the very first thing they do, and it was high. It was probably 150 over something, maybe 85 she was like, you know, it, and nurses are great. They're like, let's just take a second and try that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See how that goes. And she didn't wait, though. Like, a lot of times I'll be like, I'm just going to go do some paperwork and come back in 10 minutes while you breathe. But uh, she took it again, and it ended up being much lower. It was like 132. Okay. So I was like, okay, beat that. That was a fluke. It was weird, but whatever. And but. Because I'd had some strange symptoms earlier in the week, the doctor asked, you know, she wanted me to to pee in a cup just to check. And she came back and said, you know, there is some protein in this, and so what we want you to do is go to the hospital and get the labs done that will come back fast, because they won't come back fast. Here, we just want to make sure. So they sent me to the hospital just to make sure. So, I mean, I valeted at the hospital. I drove myself, valeted at the hospital. And they, you know, did a blood test and, and it was really just a check to make sure I didn't have any kind of like preeclampsia. How
0: um, quick did you get the results?
1: It was fast. It was fast. My my brother showed up. He he works at the hospital. Oh. <laughs> it's all very convenient. I have many I have many nurse friends at the hospital and mm-hmm. you know, so it was all very just kind of I just was annoyed that I had to be there. I had had such a normal pregnancy up to that point that I really hated to have a mark on my grade, if you will. That's just the person that I am. I just, I hate that. So I was more annoyed that I had to be there in the first place. You know, I'm sitting there and you can tell I've never been in a hospital before for anything ever. She handed me a robe and she was like, you know, put this gown on and I put it on backwards. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so used to being at the OB's office where, you know, you everything's out front i don't know what
0: (laughs) Um, what did you find when you got your blood work back
1: well you know it's all kind of a blur at that point you know they got my blood work back and the attending physician came in with like three other people oh boy and she sat on the she sat on the bed and she was like, "Listen, do you know why you're here?" And I was like, "I think you're just checking for preeclampsia because you know I knew people that had had it and they just you know maybe kept him overnight, gave him some drugs, kept it under control, sent him home, said you know watch it, make sure it's, you know you're not getting yourself stressed out." So even in my head, worst case scenario, I was going to be okay. It was going to be fine. So when she said, "Listen, we think that you have help syndrome." and we need to take the baby out, I started basically just bartering with her because I'm like, listen, I'm almost 30 weeks. Can we just wait a couple of days? Wow, you
0: were just 30 weeks?
1: (laughs) I was 29 weeks and five days. Wow. That's so
0: scary at that point. Had you ever heard of help syndrome before?
1: No, no, never. And, you know, I read a book, a whole book.
0: (laughs) On pregnancy?
1: I read a whole book on pregnancy and birth, and I'm like, why is it now? it's such a random and weird thing and they know very little about it just in general that it's something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot I think and- it's,
0: um, it's H-E-L-L-P so there's two L's and it's a combination of things a syndrome is a combination yes. of things so hemolysis is where your red blood cells start to break down that's the H-E-L is elevated liver enzymes and then LP is low platelet count, which is not a fun combination. Did no, they rate your case on severity?
1: They, they did. I And I had a platelet count of uh, 60, oh, which wow. right at the cutoff for the most severe case. Wow. Yeah. Well, I the, imagine
0: they didn't barter very much with you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, there wasn't any bartering. You know, when they told me what it was, I basically said, listen, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. You're just going to freak me out. I'm not going to Google it. Let's just go on.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: so, and I did. Like I really kind of went into like self-preservation mode at that point because I knew what was about to happen was going to be scary. And they were like, we're going to deliver this baby now.
0: Were you allowed to be awake for the cesarean?
1: They offered that as a possibility, but they said that because of the low platelet count, they felt that it would be better if I was not
0: General General
1: Yeah, and I told them that was fine. I don't want to know or see any of this (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wake me up when it's over. That's fine I mean, you know, and I guess that's a certain kind of way to deal with something But honestly and that was essentially how it happened I walked into that place at 10 a.m. And he was born at 1230.
0: Wow, you could still get your car from the valet
1: yeah, basically. Actually, <laughs> oh my, my goodness. Actually, my brother lost it later that week, accidentally, so I had to, like, file a police report. But that's oh
0: boy. Um, that's an incredible, like, just, I'm, I'm putting that together in my mind, yeah. just from like, hey, not feeling great, to going yeah. in a, before even 30 weeks, Yeah, how scary that is to have a baby that early, and then also just to find out that you're really very sick. Um,
1: yeah, he was fine. They ultrasounded him. He was chilling in there, like, no problems.
0: <laughs> but you were very sick. Apparently. How did, how did he do with uh, with a premature birth?
1: So, you know, I once again, I'm, I'm very lucky. I was at a stellar hospital, and I couldn't have been in a better place for the situation, honestly. You know, the, their NICU folks are amazing. I handed the nurse, I handed somebody my phone. She said she would take pictures. Mm. and she did you know and the anesthesia oh, nice. yeah they they knocked me out they gave me magnesium and steroids and FYI magnesium is no joke oh it's gnarly yeah I was not prepared for magnesium that sucker was painful but yeah I, it was just all very fast and he was out very fast and uh, side note I uh, woke up during the surgery no Pulled out my breathing tube
0: oh my for, goodness
1: for extra fun <laughs> Wow Yeah, that was good. Um, I couldn't understand why my throat hurt so bad. I realized that I had a tube down my throat, but turns out they had to drag me twice.
0: That's insane.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was super.
0: They (laughs) intubated you, they intubated you twice.
1: Yeah, they intubated me in the middle of the surgery again after I woke up. But From what I understand is when they do C-sections, they don't want to overkill it because the baby, and so it's possible that I just did not have enough.
0: Um, literally cuz i didn't know your birth story until right now i mean it's literally one surprise after another how did you both recover
1: it was a plus i will say it was um you know i don't want to i don't want to say it like i was proud of myself but i was i was never sure how you never know how you're going to recover from something like that and you know, all my blood tests were pretty terrible at that point, but my platelets went up very fast after the surgery. My liver took a little longer. They were a little concerned about that, but it did eventually go back up in the right direction. It just took a little bit longer. I, I blamed the drinking in college for that. I'm not sure why, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, was, uh, it took a little bit longer for that to recover, but I was fine. The C-section went well in general after the other problem, but I was up and out in five days, and I count myself as lucky. I've heard pretty terrible stories about help syndrome, and a lot of people need transfusions, and they end up in the ICU for a really long time.
0: How long was uh, your little guy in the NICU?
1: He was great. Um, He was a fat preemie. He was two pounds, 15 ounces when he was born, so. He was a pretty big preemie by their standards.
0: Yeah, for 30 weeks.
1: Yeah, so, you know, really the only thing he had to do was learn to breathe on his own. So he had a cannula for probably three or four weeks.
0: In the hospital?
1: Yeah, so he was in the NICU for two months. Two months. Wow. They, tell you to, they tell you to expect that he will be there until he's supposed to be born. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was able to come home a couple weeks early. Which was good. After his lungs started developing and he started putting on weight, he grew like a champ.
0: That must be a surreal moment when your due date comes and your baby's over yes. two months old.
1: Yeah, it was a very strange thing. You know, he'll be under a corrected date for like a couple of years. And so he's a big preemie, but he's tiny for his real age kind of thing. But he's about 13 pounds now. He's caught up real fast. He's a good eater and he has had no repercussions from this really whatsoever. His eyesight and hearing, which is, they're two of the things that they're most worried about when they come that early, have been fine. and
0: uh, well, thankfully.
1: yeah, so, he passed all his tests. So for the way it started out, the outcome really honestly couldn't have been better. And I'm very thankful for that and, you know, just the dedication of the hospital workers because not a couple weeks later they basically shut the hospital down you know because oh,
0: you had your baby right before the pandemic
1: yeah yeah and it's a very strange thing to go to a hospital every day during a pandemic and you start out seeing this very busy bustling place and you think okay well pandemic it's going to be insane but it, it was just a ghost town
0: yeah the, the people stopped going for other things
1: but yeah they don't go for other things they cancel elective surgeries
0: it's, can't bring people with you
1: Yeah, it's empty, except for you. And I know those NICU nurses, it was a struggle for them because they want family there because that's the one thing that really helps these preemies to be around their people and to have that skin to skin contact with their people and to have those visitors. But, you know, those nurses in those NICU wards are now taking on like double duty. They're taking care of these babies, and they're also trying to kind of provide those babies with as much exposure as possible to other people while still being safe.
0: Impossible job. It's uh, I'm it really always is. so impressed and so grateful for the people yeah. who choose to spend their career doing that. It's, an it's invaluable.
1: You know, and I see my friends every day that are nurses at the hospital and they just they're powering through it like champs. And they are the most impressive to me, honestly, because they they really take it all in stride.
0: Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I had COVID and I was in the ICU for a while. And, you know, it was one person after another was just so amazing. Uh, each of the doctors and the nurses and uh, the different therapists, they were just really incredible and selfless and professional and compassionate.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so grateful. It's Kelly.
1: Time for everybody.
0: What an interesting story. And, uh, you know, you climbed a mountain, a giant mountain. <laughs> um, And I really appreciate you coming on here to share it. We had not done an episode about help syndrome. And so hopefully people won't experience it. It's not super common, but you know, at least if you, (laughs) yeah, at least if you do, you can kind of, if you start having these symptoms like this, you can uh, get on top of it early. And also, like I said, I'm going to have Dr. Michelle Tsai on our next episode, talk about this from a much more clinical perspective.
1: It's one of those things, you never really know how your pregnancy is going to go, and you just have to be open to the way that it will end up, and trust in the individuals that you have chosen to help you along the way, because really that's the the most important thing. And if you can do that, then you you can be calmer when stressful situations like mine do happen.
0: That's extremely well said. Thanks so much for joining us and for sharing your story at home. As always, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you like our program, share us with your friends and leave us some feedback in your podcast app, Kelly's Living Proof, that we do read your correspondence and we get back to you and your topics are important to us and we'll cover them as soon as we can. And for more information, visit us online at informedpregnancy.com.
1: I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn, and my babies do.
0: <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Doctor Mom Butt Balm. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash.